Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney continues our new series, Sweet Emotion, out of the book of Matthew. For this fourth message, titled Love for Neighbors, Part 2, turn to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Good to see you today. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope your week's been going really good. I hope it's been going a little better than mine. Have you ever had one of those weeks where just nothing is productive? You're trying your best. You have all these goals set out and all these plans, and it's very unproductive, right? And you call up the Cox Cable people, and then you're just, whoa. What has happened? Everybody, everybody calls the Cox Cable people at the same time. So you sit on hold for like 30 minutes because you really need the internet. I didn't realize I was so dependent on the interwebs until you don't have it. And then you realize I only have two bars and that does not get it done when you're busy, right? So things don't always go like we want them to, but I think that God is in the middle of that uh, no matter what. I think he's in the middle of all of life, um, the good, the bad, and the frustrating. He's in the middle of all of it, and there's things that he has for us to do and, and things that he wants us to be, and um, so that's what we're talking about, right? It's a very emotional time. I, and sometimes I wonder if it's actually a sweet emotional time or not, right? It's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Things are up and down. Things are not going exactly like we would have planned them. But I believe that God is sovereign and he's in control of everything. So he's in the middle of all these things. So this first part of the series that we're going through in Matthew, we've been talking about this roller coaster ride that we're on. And in particular, in the Sermon on the Mount, God... Uh, Jesus gives us some commands, right? And so we looked at um, the first part of um, this, this first part of the part one series about loving our enemies. And now we are uh, looking at loving our neighbors. And so last week, Pastor Kevin did such a great job of opening up that, uh, that doorway to uh, the greatest command. So can we just review really quick uh, what does this have to do with me last week? I think uh, it'll remind you of uh, Pastor Kevin and, and um, the foundation that he laid for us. So number one, in particular, God commands total allegiance to himself. That's foundational to everything that we're looking at here and that Jesus wants us to know and understand. And that God wants complete and total allegiance to him alone. You know, our, our allegiance is... Uh, um, lie in a lot of places. When uh, my son Mitchell was uh, pretty young, we would always say he is loyal to no one, right? However it would benefit him, that's he was on your team, right? So he all of a sudden, he's on my team, he's loyal, but if it benefited him to be on mom's team, he would jump ship just like that. It didn't matter, right? He was, we, we kept saying, you're loyal to no one. Your allegiances are not true, right? He loved playing all sides, right? Because he was after, you know, but God's not like that. He's a jealous God. And so he commands, I would say he demands total allegiance. So when you give your life to Jesus, 
We like to describe it like this. It's pretty radical. You are swearing allegiance to the king. And he is saying there's only one king, only one king, and I want total allegiance. So um, Pastor Kevin reminded us of that. Also, love for God precedes love for others. So God doesn't give us two commands, you know, loving your enemies, and then I want you to love others. It's one command that starts with love for God. Love for God. That's, that's the foundation of it all. You can't love other people the way with God love unless you love him first. Okay? And then um, number three, align yourself with causes that lead people to God. This is kind of difficult because there's a lot of causes out there. I think there's a lot of worthy causes, but unless your cause that you are aligning yourself with, unless it's actually about the gospel, unless it's about the truth, unless it's about Jesus, I would say you're wasting a lot of energy and effort. And there's a lot of causes right now that, um, you know, seem, seem to be important. I think lots of them are important. So I want to be careful how I say this, but you need to look for Causes that actually motivate, that, that have an end in mind, that lead people to God, the almighty, sovereign God, in particular, Jesus. Otherwise, uh, I mean, look, we, we all have a limited amount of time. Okay, let's, let's move on. Speaking of time, practice the mission of Vail Christian Church. The mission of Vail Christian Church is making room in life to connect people to God and others, because this is where Jesus now uh, lives and dwells in the, in the hearts and lives of Christ followers. Without room, without space, without margin in your life, then you don't, uh, you, you don't really have the ability to connect people to God. And this is a part of our mission and our mandate as Christ followers. So we like to describe it like, you know, if you're reading a book, I, you know, most of us now uh, read books on our tablet or our phone, or we listen to them audibly, but if you still open up a book with real pages, right, you recognize what would happen if all the words, if all the letters, if there was no space there. It'd be really confusing. It'd be really difficult. It would be almost impossible to actually read it. It would be unintelligible. It's the same thing in your life. Without room in your life, without margin, without space, there's no way really to connect people with God because then you're, you're all about everything and anything that doesn't have anything to do with God most of the time. I cleaned out my garage this week, and it was not fun, but I like to say most people, most Americans in particular, we have $500 worth of stuff in our garage and then a $40,000 vehicle sits outside the garage. How come? Because we don't have any space in there. And we're hanging on this $500 worth of Christmas decorations and everything else. It's all crammed in there. And we can't get our car in the door. We can't get our vehicles in there. And they sit outside in the weather, wasting away because we're hanging on to $500 worth of stuff because there's not enough space in there. Let's move on. Pastor Kevin, thank you last week. <laughs> Matthew chapter 22 is where we are today, and in particular, verses 34 through 40. Before I read through this, let me set this up just a little bit, because um, 
evangelical Christ followers are radical. Actually, being a Christ follower is radical. We're going to talk about that, how, what, what that means. Because we have to live in the world but not be of the world. And that's pretty radical in particular these days. We have to function in this world that we live in. God designed us to function here, but we're not of it. This isn't our home. Our ethic is not um, derived from any sort of worldly power, but from the one who sits on the throne in heaven, Christ. Christ followers strive towards faithfulness until the end, and we live then. The reason why it's radical to be a Christ follower is because we live abandoned with sworn allegiance to the king. So we can't be silent. We can't stay silent with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So it's pretty radical to not stay silent. We can't allow fear in our culture to muzzle our faith in Christ. We may want to be quiet about who we're voting for. We may want to be politically distanced a little bit because it's just sort of a volatile subject, but not when it comes to faith in Jesus. So we can't, uh, uh, let's not uh, enable indecision to rule our lives regarding the things of God and the things of Jesus. We don't have to ask what the will of God is. He made it actually really clear. He made it really clear. He wants his people to love our enemies and our neighbors as ourselves. He wants us to proclaim and practice truth regardless of the risk and to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. Now let's read. Matthew chapter 22, verse, starting in verse 34. Now, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together. So Jesus is interacting with these experts in the law and movements and particular leaders, right? And he was speaking with authority and kind of shut them down. Well, when he did that then, in verse 35, it says, And one of them, an expert in religious law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Sounds like a good question. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. Then he adds to this in verse 39. The second is like it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. So this is pretty different right here. I'm not sure they were expecting this, trying to trap Jesus. So let's talk about this radical command. I've already said that it's radical to be a Christ follower. I think this is a, a radical command. To love your neighbor as yourself. When you think about it, loving your neighbor as yourself, it gets to the core. This reason why I think it's radical, because it gets to the core. It gets to the center of our sinfulness. It exposes it, and it shakes things up. It causes a disconnect. The name for this core of, of sinfulness is pride. Pride. 
That's the name of it. Pride is the presumption that we can be content without depending on God. And we live in a culture where people, including ourselves, are striving to be content and satisfied and happy. Pain-free, right? So pride is the presumption that we can be content without depending on God as the source of our contentment without caring if if others find their happiness in God. So we don't have time for anything but ourselves, including, and that means other people, they take a back seat, right? Pride's the passion to be happy, or to be happy. And it's contaminated and corrupted by two particular things. Number one, or A, let's, let's call it A, right? The unwillingness to see God as the only source of true lasting satisfaction, and then B, the unwillingness to see other people as designed by God receive the satisfaction in Him that you have. See why it's so important to have margin and space in your life and room in your life. It's a big deal. If you take the desire to be satisfied and you strip away from it, God is the source of your satisfaction and contentment. And people is the recipients of your satisfaction and contentment. All that you have left is the motor, the engine, the driver, pride. Pride is the pursuit of being satisfied anywhere, but in the pursuit of God and the good of other people. It is the motor, it is the tap root, can I describe it anymore, of all sin. Now, let me describe it more. You know, um, I was using this mechanism this week. We generally call it a drill. Maybe you've seen one. Maybe you have one, a cordless one. Very few people have one, uh, a cord attached to their drill anymore. But I was using it this week, and it's amazing. I needed one of those little things that drills the hole. Those are actually called drills, those little things. Now, I know that on the package... It says drill bits. I know that it says that, but it's totally wrong. It's, they are not drill bits. Just, you know, over time, uh, production of these things, you know, people have just give up and they just call them drill bits because when you walk into Ace Hardware and you need one of those, you say, I need a drill bit. Where are the drill bits? And so the guy goes, oh, the drill bits are over here. And then he points you to the package and it says right on there, drill bits, but it's not what they're called. Those are actually drills. Just talk to anybody who drills for oil. They don't call those the drill bit. Those things that they poke down in the ground or people who drill for water. No, they use a drill. It bores a hole down into anything. You know, the bit part, that's the part that clamps onto the drill. That's the bit. That part that goes, sucks around it, you know? And then you know that part that you screw down... To, to, to make the bit clamp onto it, you know what that's called? It's called the chuck. I don't think it's short for Charlie. I just think it's called the chuck. <laughs> and then you know what drives all of that? The motor. The motor. The driver. The driver drives the drill. Now you know. Those are called drills. They used to be called drills. 
till we got them manufactured all across the planet where they don't actually speak English, you know, proficiently. And then they just started calling them the drill bits because somebody got on the phone and said, hey, we needed some, we need some drill bits. And then they started producing them and then shipping them over here. And then now they all see drill bits on it. It's the same thing as calling a tissue Kleenex. It, Kleenex is the brand. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same concept. Now, listen, pride is the motor. It's the driver. I'm making a point. <laughs> it's the driver of all of sin, all of sin. All of sin, pride. Now, let's talk about this just a little bit further. Because now Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And with that commandment, he gets to the core of what's driving our sinfulness. So my second point, let's talk about self-love. Self-love. Self-love is actually created a creation of God. So Jesus says in a way, he starts out by saying, look. Let's start with your deep nature, your most defining human trait, your love for yourself. All of you have a powerful um, uh, self-preservation. You have self-preservation and self-fulfillment instinct. It's created in you, all right? You all want to be happy. You all, all want to live and to live with contentment and satisfaction. You all, you all want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourself. You want a place to live. You want protection from violence against yourself. You want meaningful and pleasant activity to fill your life. Don't you? You want some friends so that you can spend time with some, some people. You want relationships. You want your life to count in some way. All this is self-love. Self-love is the deep desire to diminish pain and to increase satisfaction. Nobody wants to be in pain. When you're in pain, the first thing you look for is the Advil, the Tylenol, maybe the aspirin. I don't know. You want pain relief, right? Pain relief. That's what Jesus starts with when he says... As yourself, as yourself. Everyone without exception has this deep human nature or trait. Everyone. This is what moves us to do things. Jesus says, start with this self-love stuff. This is what I know about you. This is a part of everybody, all people. You don't have to learn it. It comes with your humanity. We know when those little boogers start walking, little children, they start learning that word, mine. Why? It's all about self-love, mine, right? Well, because it comes with your humanity, it's created with you in and a part of itself, it's actually good. To hunger for food's not evil. To want to be warm in the winter is not evil. To want to be safe in a crisis is not evil. And I keep telling Linda to turn the air conditioning down. It's not evil. (laughs) 
To want to be healthy during a pandemic is not evil. To want to be liked by other people is not evil. To want your life to count for something uh, significant in a significant way, it's not evil. This is a, um, a defining human trait before the fall of man into sin, and it, was, it, it is not evil in and of itself. Okay? But let's move on. Let's connect the dots further. Let's talk about love your neighbor as you love yourself. Just a further. So if your self-love has become evil in your life, because we know that it can, it will be exposed as you hear and respond to Jesus' commandment. He commands, as you love yourself, right? As you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Which means, as you desire food when you're hungry, desire to feed your neighbor when he's hungry. As you want nice clothes for yourself, want nice clothes and things for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from danger and violence, seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, be a friend to your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself while you're in school, work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into unfamiliar company, welcome your neighbor into unfamiliar company. See, in other words, make your self-love and your self-seeking thing that's built into you naturally the measure of your self-giving. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, the word as, that's the radical part. As. It's so key. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a huge word right there. As. As. If you're passionate in pursuing your own happiness, be passionate in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. If you're creative in pursuing your own happiness, and most of us are very creative in doing this, be creative in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. If you're persistent in pursuing your own happiness, be persistent in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is not just saying, seek for your neighbor the same things you seek for yourself, but also seek them in the same way, with the same enthusiasm and energy and creativity and perseverance, right? And enthusiasm. The same life and death commitment when you're in danger, right? Love your neighbor the same way. Make your own self-love and seeking the measure of your self-giving. Uh, um, make your own self-love and seeking the measure of your self-giving. That's what I meant to say. Measure your pursuit of the contentment of others and what it should be by the pursuit of your own, right? How do you pursue your own well-being? Well, pursue your neighbor's well-being that way as well. Now, Here's the thing about this, and I think it's one of the most important things here, and I think Jesus does this on purpose. This is very threatening and almost overwhelming when you think this through. 
if you're going to live in a radical way, well, you got to really get this straight. Because we feel immediately that if we take Jesus seriously here, right, we will not have to love others or, um, as we love ourselves, but we'll have to love them instead of loving ourselves. That's the part that bothers us, right? That's what it seems like anyway. We fear that if we follow Jesus in this and we really devote ourselves in pursuing the well-being of others, then our own desire for contentment will always be preempted. It'll always be sacrificed. The neighbor's claim on my time and energy and creativity will always take priority over mine. So the command to love my neighbor as I love myself really feels like a threat to my own self-love. It does. We have to be honest about that. How is this even possible? How can we even do this? There is created in us a natural desire for our own contentment and happiness. And if this is not in and of itself evil, but good, how can we give it up and begin to only seek the happiness of others at the expense of our happiness and our satisfaction and our contentment? Well, let's keep going. Let's talk about the indispensability of the first commandment to fulfill the second. It's because it's the key. Pastor Kevin talked about this some last week. And I think, like I said, that's exactly the threat that Jesus wants us to feel. I think he wants us to feel this because, well, let's just get into it. He wants us to feel it until we realize that this is why the first commandment is the first commandment. Why is it first? It's the first commandment that makes the second commandment doable and takes away the threat that that the second commandment is really the death of our own contentment and our own happiness. That's the key to understanding here. That's the knowledge and wisdom we have to have. The first commandment is in verse 37. Look at it. I'm going to put it up here, but look for yourself. Here's the first commandment in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Those three things, all of these things, right? The first commandment is the foundation of the second commandment. The second commandment is a visible expression of the first commandment, which means this. Before you make your own self-love and seeking the measure of your self-giving, make God the focus of your self-love and seeking. It's the point of the first commandment. Make God the focus. Love God with all your heart means what? It means finding God a contentment and a satisfaction so profound that it fills up all of your heart. All of it. You see? Love God with all your soul means finding God meaning so rich, so rich, And so deep that it fills up all of your soul. Have you ever... Oh, I really love banana pudding. I don't know if you know that. There's not very many people that can make banana pudding good. Because in order for it to be good... I'm an expert, by the way. In order for it to be good, it's got to be just on the edge of being so sweet that it makes your teeth hurt. 
It's got to be so rich that when you eat it, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can eat any more, but I'm going to eat it even if it makes me sick because it's so good because it's so good. Find in God meaning so rich and so deep that it fills up all of your soul. All of it. Love God with all your mind means finding God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guide and satisfy all that the human mind was meant to be. In other words, take all your self-love All your desire for satisfaction and happiness and hope and love and security and fulfillment and significance. Take all of that and focus it on God until he satisfies your heart and your soul and your mind until your teeth hurt. What you will find is that this is not a canceling out of your self-love. There's a lot of canceling out going on lately. Have you noticed that? We live in a cancel culture. Maybe you've heard of that. This is a fulfillment of the and transformation of self-love. Self-love is the desire for life and satisfaction rather than frustration and death. God says, come to me and I'll satisfy your heart and your soul and your mind. Come to me. But we go to everything, almost everything else most of the time. See, this is the first and great commandment. And with that great discovery and now illumination, that God is the never-ending source of satisfaction. The way we love others is forever changed now. You see, God has called us and commanded us that our love for him be be the form of my love for me. That all our desires for our lives, we find it. In him, that what our self-love is now, right? It's our love for God. God's heart and our hearts have become one. Our journey, our quest, our adventure for satisfaction and happiness is now nothing other than a, a journey, a quest, an adventure after God, after God's heart. Why did God just really loved David. How did he describe him? King David, a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but at his center, at his core, he was after God's heart. Here's a a quote. Let me put this up for you. Our self-love is fulfilled in God love and becomes the measure and the content of of our neighbor love, our neighbor love. So what is Jesus commanding here anyway when it comes to this second command? I mean, that's what we're focusing on, right? The second command, that we love our neighbor as as ourselves. He's commanding that our self-love, which is now, you know, we're, we're now illuminated. We found out its fulfillment in God love He's, he's, he's commanding that the measure and the content of our neighbor, it, it's the measure and the content of our neighbor love, right? Or to put it another way, he's commanding that, our, that, that the way we're designed, it's born into us, built into us, our self-seeking, 
self-love, which has now been transformed into God-seeking, he's commanding us to overflow and extend itself to our neighbor. It should spill out of us onto our neighbors. And we don't need to, you know, we don't need to actually say who's our neighbor. That's it's just everybody. Our neighbors and our enemy, everybody. So, for example, here's some good examples. That's what we need. Examples. Right? Number one. Here we go. If you desire to see more of God's generosity, then seek to show others the greatness of his generosity by the generosity you found in him. That's a great example, right? How about this? If you want to enjoy more of God's compassion that he gives you in times of sorrow and hurt, right? Then seek to show others more of God's compassion in their sorrows and in their hurts. How about this? If you hunger for more of God's wisdom in stressful relationships, you got any of those? Just want, just want God's wisdom in these stressful relationships. Then seek to extend more of God's wisdom to others in their stressful relationships. If you love seeing God's goodness in relaxed times of recreation, anybody love that? Oh, it's good. Just to be out on the lake in a boat, fishing. You can water ski if you have to. then extend that goodness to others by helping them have relaxed, healthy times of recreation. Teach somebody how to fish. If you want to see more of God's grace fleshed out in your life, then stretch out that grace into the lives of others who need that grace, that undeserved, no ifs, ands, or buts, God kind of love. If you want to enjoy more of the riches of God's personal relationship, then extend that personal relationship and friendship to people who are lonely and need it. Wow. Man, that's, that's love in your neighbor. In all these ways, neighbor love, that's what we're talking about, it does not threaten self-love. Because self-love has become God-love. And God-love is not threatened. It's not diminished. It's not exhausted by being poured into the lives of others. It doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't provide all the solutions. I mean, this is, you know, we're complicated people when it comes to love, right? Right? It doesn't take away all kinds of threats in loving our neighbors. There's threats. There's competing claims on our limited time. There's hard choices about what to give up and what to keep. You're going to have to make some hard choices. There's different, different interpretations of what's good for another person. No doubt. So all, everything doesn't just get simple with his command, but loving God sustains us and provides this fire and this energy through what loving our neighbor should be and what is required to love our neighbor. When the sacrifice is great, you remember that God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. When our choices to love are difficult, we remember that his grace 
is sufficient. When we get distracted by the world and our hearts become selfish and we get off track, we remember that God alone can satisfy and that he asks us to repent and love his all-sufficient grace. So what does this have to do with me? Let's get real personal. Here we go. You ready? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a radical command. It is radical. Now you see it because of that word as. <laughs> as makes it radical. It gets to the core of our sinfulness. It exposes it. And then it creates a disconnect. It's called pride, that core pride. That's the driver. That's the driver, right? Pride's the motor. Pride's the tap root of all sin. Number three, the passion to be satisfied and happy, content, self-love, is contaminated and corrupted by two things. Let's remember what those two things are. A, the unwillingness to see God as the only source of true lasting satisfaction. And then B, the unwillingness to see other people as designed by God receive the satisfaction in Him that you have. Can you recognize what this have to do with me? Well, can you recognize some contamination in your life? We got to get that contamination out of there. But this is exactly the contamination and the corruption of self-love that Jesus counteracts with these two commands. The greatest, and then the second one that's like it. In the first command, number four, in the first command, the focus is on the passion to be satisfied firmly in God and God alone. That's where we gotta start. That's where we gotta begin. That's really where it begins and ends. God and God alone. He asks us to swear allegiance to him, to swear allegiance to the king and no other. Careful where your allegiances are. They need to be in God and God alone. And then last, the second command opens up a whole world of expanding satisfaction in God. People are designed to receive your satisfaction and happiness in God. They're designed to receive it. Give it. Give it and live like this. If there's ever a time that people need the satisfaction and contentment that you have, it's now. Isn't it now? I know that everything's been turned upside down. I know that everything is off track. I know that everything is different. Quit thinking it's going to change and go back to normal. Get those words out of your head. That's not what's going to happen here. I don't know if the stadiums will ever fill up like they used to. I don't know. I think this election cycle is going to turn into a circus <laughs> if it already isn't like that. I don't think it's going to get better. I've read the end of the book. I think there's going to be this upheaval. So right now, this is what people need. And people are designed to receive what we have as Christ followers. Love them the way you love yourself. Show them, give them through every practical means available what you found for yourself. In God. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for moments where we can be reminded of these, of these things. What does this have to do with us? Oh, everything here. Help us to root out this 
pride, this, this engine, this motor, this taproot of all sin, pride, we know that it destroys and contaminates everything. Help us to put up the white flag and surrender to you and to you alone and to swear our allegiance to you. And each and every day, God, help us to be reminded that you are in sovereign control of all things and that we serve a king who sits on the throne. Thank you, Lord. We know that your head has not been turned by any or all of these things, that you're in the middle of all of it. Now help us to live serving you and our enemies and our neighbors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us again next week as we continue in the book of Matthew. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.